thank you so much for being here today. And if you're watching online, man, we are blessed to have you join us uh, as well. This is the last Sunday of 2020. And uh, we're moving on to 2021. And you know what? I'm really excited to be here. I, I, I seldom preach this service. Some of you are like, yeah, I know. No, I, I really don't do it very often, but I tell you what, I'm really excited to be here today with you and to wrap up this year and also to wrap up the series that we're in called Foretold. And that's what we're going to do today. So if you got your Bible, why don't you open it up to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 7 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. Uh, in this series, Foretold, we've been looking a lot at how the coming of Jesus, particularly the first coming of Jesus, was foretold in the prophets. So we spent a lot of time talking about that. We started off in 2 Peter, where we talked about the predictive nature of the scriptures, right? How the Bible can actually predict the truth, that God tells us in advance what he is going to do. And then we also saw eyewitness accounts of how those predictions actually came true. So we looked at that. And that's how we kind of kicked off the series. Throughout, we looked at several different prophetic statements about the coming of Jesus, particularly the first coming of Jesus. When would he be born? How would he be born? To whom would he be born? We looked at the prophecy about being born of a virgin, all of that kind of thing. Uh, but, but today what I want to do is not talk about the prediction of Jesus' first coming. I want to talk about the prediction of Jesus' second coming. See, up to this point, we've been, we've been looking at the prophets pointing to his coming in Bethlehem, but we want to see now today how the prophets also look further beyond that to the coming of Jesus Christ and his second coming glory. And by the way, the, the fulfillment of the, first, the prophecies regarding to his first coming uh, give us confidence that the prophecies regarding his second coming will actually happen. And so this is, a, this is really exciting, great way to end this series, looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Would you agree with that? A good way to wrap it up? And so uh, that's what we're going to do today. So Daniel chapter 7 is where we're going to be uh, today. And if you'll hang with me here, folks, we're going to kind of be working through uh, some, some uh, churning waters here. We're going to be working through some difficult passages. But if you stay with me, I think you're going to see the incredible relevance of this message for us right here and right now. So Daniel chapter 7. Uh, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. It says, In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream with visions in his mind as he was lying in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and here is a summary of his account. Now stop right there for just a minute. A couple of things you need to know. Daniel chapter 7 uh, is a pivot in the book. The first six chapters are different than the last six chapters. In the first six chapters of Daniel, Daniel is interpreting dreams that God gave to other people. In the last six chapters, Daniel is interpreting dreams that God gave him. The first six chapters are mostly about the person of Daniel, the things that happened to him. So all the stories about Daniel, the, the Daniel in the lion's den, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, all these things are in the first six chapters. But really, when you get to chapter seven and beyond, the last six chapters are all about the prophecies that God gives Daniel about the future. Uh, the first six chapters are all about the past. Uh, for last six chapters are all about the future. So uh, I, I love what 
Uh, Brian Chapel said in his commentary on the book of Daniel, he said, quote, the seventh chapter of Daniel begins the dangerous part of the book. What he means by that is that you're moving into territory where we don't really understand it all. We're moving into a lot of imagery and symbolism and apocalyptic literature that's going to seem very strange and very oftentimes difficult to interpret. That's why it's dangerous because a lot of scholars don't all agree on what these symbols uh, mean, but yet uh, even though it may be difficult for us to interpret, listen, we don't need to shy away from the book of Daniel, nor do we need to shy away from prophecy in general because God has written it for you. God has given this for you. And God has something to speak to us about as we work through this chapter in Daniel. The main thing that I want you to really remember as we walk through this is that Daniel is writing to a displaced Israel. Remember, Israel was a nation. The Babylonians came down and began to haul them off into exile through multiple deportations. And so the people that he's writing to, they had no home. Their family was torn apart. They had no temple. They had no worship. They had no culture. They were just basically being dismantled. And so Daniel is speaking to them about hope when things are incredibly uncertain. Now, I want you to just take that and apply it to where you've been through 2020. We've been through a lot, have we not? We've been through a lot, a lot of uncertainty. We've walked through and are still going through a global pandemic that is still not resolved. We've had a tremendous amount of division, a tremendous amount of confusion. I was listening to a podcast just last night and they were talking about how would you summarize uh, 2020? You know, what word or what phrase would you summarize it? And there were different ones. Some said, well, of course, COVID would have to be the word of the, of the year, right? Or, or maybe division. I think confusion and division is how I would qualify it. I mean, we had a ton of just confusion and fear and division in our nation and all around the world. And so Daniel is writing to people that had that same thing, confusion and division. And how do we get through that? Well, Daniel tells us. In Daniel chapter 7, what he's going to do is he's going to take you and throw you up to 30,000 feet. And he's going to give you this global view of what God is doing in his time and what God is going to do throughout time and what God is going to do at the end of time. And so you're going to see this panoramic view of what God is doing in our world. And I think as we look at that, uh, we're going to find a lot of comfort. In fact, you could summarize these first, first half of the chapter 7 uh, this way. Uh, the world is a difficult place, uh, but God is in control and Jesus is coming back. All right? That's a great place for an amen. So let me try that one more time. Uh, you know, there's not two other services, so this is all you got, folks. This is it, all right? If you're going to amen, don't, you can't wait. You got to just do it right then, all right? Let me try that one more time. Uh, the world is a difficult place, uh, but God is in control and Jesus is coming back. Yeah. All right, now you're with me. All right, so let's look at this world as a difficult place. Look at, uh, look at verse 2. It says, Daniel said, in my vision at night, I was watching and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Four huge beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion, but had eagle's wings. And I continued watching until its wings were torn off, 
It was lifted up from the ground, set on its feet like a man, and given a human mind. Suddenly another beast appeared, a second one that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, get up, gorge yourself on flesh. After this, while I was watching, suddenly another beast appeared, and it was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. It had four heads, and it was given dominion. After this, while I was watching in the night visions, suddenly a fourth beast appeared, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong, with large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed, and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the beasts before it. And it had 10 horns. And while I was considering the horns, suddenly another horn, a little one, came up among them. And three of the, first, uh, of the first horns were uprooted before it. And suddenly in this horn, there were eyes like the eyes of a human and a mouth that was speaking arrogantly. All right, now stop right there. Now, would you agree this is a weird dream? All right. You're probably thinking, man, Daniel had some bad pizza, right, the night before. He binged on Netflix the night before, and just his mind's just all crazy, right? And it is quite weird. I mean, see what I'm talking about? The symbolism, what does all this stuff mean? Four heads, eyes on horns, and what is this all about? It's, it's stuff that you kind of run into when you read through the book of Revelation or sometimes uh, even the book of Ezekiel. I remember a friend of mine, he's a brand new Christian, and he decided to read through the New Testament. And when he got to Revelation, he called me. He said, Craig, this Revelation thing is a little weird. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, he goes it's like a really bad Stephen King movie, all right? And you may be thinking the same thing when you read Daniel 7. You're like, wow, this is just a weird, strange Thing. What is this dream that he's talking about? But, but Daniel's dream really begins with chaos. It's a world in chaos. He said the sea is churning, right? And so this idea of churning waters is a picture of disturbance and violence and change and instability. The world, he talks about the sea here. We don't know. Some argue that this is the Mediterranean Sea. It doesn't really indicate. We don't really know. But it is a picture of the world. And the world is in turbulence and chaos. And out of this sea come these four crazy-looking creatures. Now, what are these creatures? Well, we know what these creatures are. This is a little, uh, uh, little spoiler alert. We know exactly what these creatures are. These creatures are kingdoms that will rule on the earth. Well, how do we know that? Because verse 17 tells us, all right? In verse 17, it says, These great four beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. All right? So these are kingdoms that are going to rise up. And many believe that these are successive kingdoms, one after the other after the other, that will dominate the world stage and the world theater. And so what are these kingdoms? Uh, well, the first one, the lion... Uh, represents Babylon. In fact, the winged lion uh, is still today, you can find artifacts that depict Babylon today in modern day Iraq as you look at ancient uh, uh, archaeology. Uh, the lion was the king of the beast. The eagle is the king of the air, which indicates its dominance in the world. And he goes on to say that he saw the wings were plucked off and that the lion stood up 
upright like a man and he was given a new mind. And this, of course, comes from uh, Daniel chapter 4 where Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, was humbled before God. He lost his mind because he would not honor and acknowledge God. And after a season of time, God gave him a new mind and he reestablished him as a leader that would praise and honor and glorify God. So we know that the lion is Babylon. Well, what, who came after Babylon? Well, the bear represents the Medo-Persian empire. That's who followed Babylon. They're like a bear. A bear is not as nimble as a lion, not as quick as a lion, but a bear has one thing going for it, and that is mass and brute force, right? A bear, when it attacks, it is ferocious. And the Medo-Persian empire came on and devastated every other superpower. And it says, interesting, that the bear is kind of off kilter, like it has one foot up, uh, as if to say it is unbalanced. And that's really what the Medo-Persian Empire was like. It was not balanced power between the Medes and the Persians. The Persians were by far more dominant than the Medes uh, ever were. And then following them, the leopard, well, this is most likely the Greece, uh, Alexander the Great. The leopard is, of course, the the fastest of all these animals. And then you add wings on top of it, this indicates speed, right? And if there's one word that, that designates the, the rapid expansion of Greek culture under Alexander the Great, it was speed. Alexander the Great conquered the known world in 10 years. That is absolutely amazing. Beginning at 334 BC, he conquered the known world. And then he wept because there were no more worlds to conquer. But as quickly as his kingdom grew, he also quickly died. He died at only 31 years old. And when he died, they were asking him, you know, who is going to be the heir, a parent who's going to take over this massive kingdom. And he said the kingdom was too great for one man to control. So they divided his kingdom among four generals. Daniel talks about four heads, four generals that would control four different regions. So you have, you have Babylon, you have the Medo-Persian Empire, you have the Greeks following thereafter. And then there is this fourth beast, and it's different. In fact, it's not really described like an animal. He said it's just different than the others. The only thing that he can really tell us other than it's terrible and it's dominant and it's expansive and it's great and it's terrifying is the fact that it has iron teeth. So most agree that this is the iron rule of Rome. Rome was the greatest of all these. In fact, Rome, the Roman Empire continued for a thousand years it dominated all of Europe, all of West Asia, all of North Africa for a thousand years. And then he fixates on this little horn. A horn is usually an indication of a leader or a king. And so it talks about this little horn that appears and others fall down before him. And this horn has eyes and speaks blasphemies. And he says there's going to emerge a leader and this leader will be dominant, will eradicate his rivals, and then will ultimately blaspheme God. And if you continue reading the later in the book of Daniel chapter 7, what you find is this last kingdom 
also is a depiction of a final global kingdom that will come. And this little horn is a picture of a global leader that will ultimately make war against God and make war against God's people. So Daniel is, is giving us this picture of turmoil. What does all this mean? Well, basically what he's saying is that the world is stirred up. Folks, can you, can you feel that the world is stirred up right now? I mean, you just feel it. You feel it in the culture. You feel it online. You feel it in the political scene. You feel it in the, uh, uh, with racial tension in our country. You feel it with all kinds of tension right now. The world is stirred up. And God said it was going to be this way. God never said, hey, the world's going to get better and better and better. You know, the amillennials believe that, that uh, eventually the world is going to get better and better and better and then just going to come back to a perfect world. I don't see that happening anywhere. I don't think the Bible teaches that. I don't think the book of Daniel teaches that. The book of Daniel says there's going to be turbulence among turbulence among turbulence. There's going to be violence among violence. Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? You will have trouble. But fear not. He said, I've overcome the world. And Daniel is depicting this kind of turbulence. We live in a day of COVID and cancer. We live in a day of Antifa and skinheads. We live in a day of, of, of uh, government overreach and resistance. This is the world in which we live. And Daniel paints a very clear picture of what we're experiencing right here. But Daniel not only sees chaos and difficulty and instability in the world, but he also sees something else. Look at, look at verse 9. He says, As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence. Thousands upon thousands served him. 10,000 times, 10,000 stood before him. The court was convened and the books were open. Now, I want you to understand this incredible contrast. He's saying the world is going crazy, but then now he gets a scene of heaven and heaven is steady. The, the, the nations are having their way, but God is seated on his throne and he will ultimately have his way. You see the contrast? And he, and he gets this picture of God in heaven, and he calls him the Ancient of Days. I love that name. We need more songs that use that name. I love that. The Ancient of Days. He is, he is the one who was and is and is to come. There was never a time when God was not. And there will never, never be a time when God is not. That God is from eternity past to eternity future. He is the ancient of days. And he is seated on his throne. And Daniel begins to paint a picture of what God looks like. You know, there are many people that claim to have like near-death experiences and they come back and write a book about what they saw, right? I, you know, 10, 10 minutes in heaven, you know, 30 seconds in hell. You know, you got all those, all those books that are out on the bookshelf. But... We don't need to wonder what God looks like. We have a depiction here that Daniel gives us what God looks like. He says that his, his hair is like brilliant white, like his clothes are glistening and radiant, that his throne is a throne of fire, which is an image of judgment and holiness. And God is seated on that throne. It's the same 
picture that Isaiah got in Isaiah 6. Remember what he said? I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And, his, and the train of his robe filled the temple and the angels around him declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Remember that? Isaiah saw that same image. Ezekiel saw that same image when he said, I saw one who sat on a throne of sapphire and it had a green sapphire rainbow over the top just depicting the glory of God. Now John saw the same thing in Revelation chapter 4. He saw a, a throne and then he said, and there were 24 smaller thrones and there were, there were beasts worshiping God and thousands worshiping God. They all saw the same thing, folks. It's a picture of the holiness of God. And God is not alone. Look at what it says there. He says, a thousand thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. It's a picture of worship in heaven, glory and honor given to God alone. What a picture, right? Heaven's gonna be awesome, by the way. All right, isn't that right? Heaven's gonna be awesome. And, and you know, some of you, you have those that you love and I have those that I love that are in heaven. What are they doing right now? Well, I know one thing, they're worshiping Jesus Christ. What we see in part, they see in full. What we see behind the veil, they see with ultimate clarity. And they see the end from the beginning and they cheer on that day when Christ will come. And folks, it's gonna be like that. In the scope of eternity, it's gonna be like that when Christ comes. So there they are, they're, they're worshiping Jesus. And then you have these ominous words. These, the music changes when you get to the end of verse 10, right? These ominous words, look at what it says. The court was convened and the books were opened. What does that mean? All of humanity is going to stand before this throne. All of humanity is going to stand to give an account for their life. Before this God, no one gets a pass. God will judge every nation. God will judge every person. We see a picture of this also in Revelation chapter 20. It's called the great white throne judgment. Very similar to Daniel 7. Where it says there's a great white throne and, and, and the father is on the throne. And it says there that... Uh, the books were open, that is the books of your works, your good deeds, your bad deeds are all open to examination. And then there's the book of life. And he said, though everyone, though they stand before the Lord and their life is evaluated, the good and the bad, it still is not enough to earn them entrance to heaven and only those whose names are written in the book of life gain entrance into heaven and all others are cast into utter darkness. Listen, folks, these are, these are sobering words. God is going to judge every person. God is going to judge every nation. And Daniel sees the scope of history. He sees how it will end. He sees the nations having their day in the first seven, eight verses of chapter seven, but then he sees God having his day. In verse 9 and verse 10. And then this scene changes again. And he sees something cataclysmic that will happen at the end of time. Before God judges, there's something that's going to take place. And we see it in verse 13. So look at it with me. He said, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. 
He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. All right, so I want you to circle the word on there, son of man, all right? Son of man. In fact, you may not know this, but this is Jesus' favorite word for himself. It's used over 81 times in the New Testament, referring to Jesus as the son of man. It is a title of the Messiah. It is a title of the coming Messiah. And Jesus always applies it to himself. And Daniel said, I see the Son of Man going to the Ancient of Days and then coming in glory and power. Jesus said, that's going to be me. One day when Jesus was walking uh, among the temple with his disciples and he started to talk about the end of time, what's going to happen when the end of time comes. And he said, Jesus, tell us what's it going to be like? What's it going to look like? How, how are we going to know what's going to happen? And this is what Jesus said. He said, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Then all the people of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. In other words, he said, you're going to know when the end comes because the Son of Man is going to come in the clouds. What's he doing? He's quoting Daniel chapter 7. You're going to see the Son of Man coming. And when he comes, you're going to gather up all those that belong to him. The Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. Another time, Jesus was uh, arrested and then he was brought before the, the chief priest and he was interrogated. And finally, at one point, the chief priest said, just tell us plainly, are you the Christ or not? And this is how Jesus replied, Matthew 26, verse 24. He said, you have said it. You, you got that right. That's the Etheridge paraphrase. You got that right, right? Jesus told him, but I tell you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Wow. He's like, man, you got that right. And the next time I come, I'm not going to be near as friendly. All right? You're going to see me again. Look at this face. You're going to see me again. The Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. You know, after Jesus' death and resurrection, it says that he ascended up into heaven with the disciples watching him, whoop, right up in, into the clouds. And as they were standing there looking, going, wow, right? Two angels showed up and said, why are you staring at the sky? This Jesus is coming back in the same way he went. He went up in the clouds. He's going to come down in the clouds of heaven and what will it be like what will it be like when Christ comes down what will it be like will it be some kind of secret thing nobody sees nobody knows I mean it's kind of a secret deal no 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 it's not going to be secret at all in fact Revelation 19 gives us this beautiful picture of what it's going to look like when Christ comes again this is what it says listen to these words when I saw heaven open and there was a white horse and its rider is called faithful and true and his, with justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. 
And he had a name written that no one knows except himself. And he wore a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen, folks, it's going to be incredible when Jesus Christ comes back. Amen? Unbelievable. I want you to understand that the Bible teaches the physical, literal return of Jesus Christ. The physical, literal return of the Son of Man that will come just as Daniel said he would come. Jesus clearly said, this is me. And he said, you're going to see it coming, folks. You're going to see it. You're either going to see it because you're here when he comes or you're going to see it because you're going to be in heaven. You're going to be coming with him. Either way, we're going to be a part of it. Isn't that amazing? We're going to see it. We're going to be there. And what's going to happen when he does show up? How are people going to respond to him? Well, Daniel 7 verse 14 tells us that uh, everyone will submit to King Jesus. That everyone will serve King Jesus. And that everyone will see that his kingdom will be an eternal kingdom that will never, ever, ever end. Folks, this, this is the point uh, of the book of Daniel. I think this is the point of what he's trying to say in this chapter. Right? This is his main idea. The whole thing, Daniel is writing, remember people that lost everything, people that wonder, is there anything I can count on? Everything is torn apart. Everything is unstable. The world is churning, right? And he says, listen, you need to remember that while you see the world churning and everything looks so unstable and so unpredictable and nobody knows what's going to happen, and yeah, there is real evil in the world, you need to understand something. God is in control. God is on his throne and Christ is coming back. And, and that is a tremendous comfort to them, and it is a tremendous comfort to us. Listen, folks, don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Don't be worried. People go, oh, man, 2020 was so bad. Well, what's going to happen when it turns 21, you know? I mean, then, then it's really going to be bad. You know what? Well, what, what if what, politically, what if this happens? And, well, what if this happens? And, it, and, 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 then, and then China and then, then you know, Russia and then well, they, all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we're so worried. And we can allow these things to churn our hearts. But the point of what Daniel is saying is it's all about Jesus. That Jesus is our rock. That Jesus is our, our, our solid ground when the world is churning. That Jesus is our Savior. That Jesus is constant and immutable and coming again. And that Jesus is Lord. And he rules and reigns. And he's coming again. Listen, without Jesus, you don't have any hope at all. But with Jesus, you have all the hope that you need. Listen, you may be saying, man, Craig, you have no idea. My world is turning upside down. I mean, my world is churning. I don't know what's going to happen with my business. I don't know how we're going to make it through this year. I don't know. My relationships are upended. I don't know what's going on with my kids. I've got so many problems and issues in my life. Listen, the one thing we can count on, the one thing that we know for sure, is that God is on his throne, that he is in control, that none of this is outside of his purview, and that he told us in advance that it was going to get turned upside down anyway. And that Jesus Christ is coming. And because of that, we can have hope. And we can have confidence in his coming and his, in his return. So, in light of Daniel 7, how then should we live? Let me just kind of close out 
with a couple of thoughts here. First off, how do we apply this? First off, just don't let this world steal your joy. Don't let this world steal your, hey, hey, listen to me. Look at me right in the eye. Your pastor loves you. He wants to talk to you. Stop letting this world steal your joy. If you got to turn the TV off, turn it off. Got to put the phone down, put the phone down. But do not let the churning of this world steal your joy. This world may be stirred up, but you don't have to be, right? You don't have to be stirred up. In fact, the greatest witness you have is that when the world is stirred up, that you can be confident and you can be at peace and you can be still. And rather go, well, but I heard this and I heard this conspiracy theory and I heard this is going to happen and this is going to happen. That person behind it. And here you are just still and confident. How can you be so confident? How can you be so calm? Because you know what? I know who's on the throne. I know, I know the ending of the story and I know Christ is coming back. I know whatever happens to me, he will sustain me. By the way, anybody in this room, Jesus sustained you through 2020? Uh, yeah, hands up if Jesus sustained you through 2020. All right, that should be everybody, by the way. That's a little trick. Yeah, so if he sustained you through 2020, how about 2019? Did he get you through 2019? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 2018, yeah. All right, so guess is that he'll probably get you through 2021, right? Listen, the world's stirred up, but you don't have to be. And the greatest witness to our world is a steadied Christian who knows his Bible, who knows her Bible, who walks with Jesus and who stands confidently and sees the churning of the world as an opportunity to bring light and to bring the gospel. So do not let this world steal your joy. Your joy is found in Jesus, not in your political party. Your, your joy is found in Jesus and not in your job or in anything that this world can take from you. Number two, remember who's in control. While Daniel saw the nations raging, he also saw God on his throne. And listen, God is not moved. He is still on his throne. One day we're going to see him. One day we're going to stand before him. And listen, it's very important. We can't just blaze through this. In Daniel 7, he pictures heaven and he says, court is in session and the books are open and everyone will stand before God. And that includes you. And that includes me. And so are you ready for that day? Are you right with God? I mean, if you're going, well, yeah, well, I, I grew up in church and my mom was uh, in the choir and my dad was a deacon and yeah, I believe in God as if all those good things in the books are going to get you to heaven and they're not gonna get you there. My question is, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Has there been a moment in time when you said yes to Christ and your name was inscribed in the book of life? You see, Jesus came the first time and the prophets foretold his first coming so you could be ready for his second coming. So you could be ready when you stand before him so that you would have an advocate that would put his arms around you when the guilty verdict comes down and says, Father, I know he is guilty, I know she is guilty, but I have covered his sin. I have covered her sin with my own sacrifice. This one belongs to me. The only way that that will happen is if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. And if you have not, then my friends, do not wait. Today is your moment. In just a minute, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to nail that down for sure. God is on his throne. But the third thing that I wanna encourage you with this is simply to set your eyes on Jesus. 
as, as the world churns more and more, as the world gets stirred up more and more and more, you need to set your attention more and more on Jesus Christ. To set your eyes on him. Revelation 22, 7, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. That is a promise from our Lord. Titus 2.13 calls it the blessed hope, our blessed hope, the coming of our Lord Jesus. So I would encourage you to let 2021 be the year of Jesus in your life, to set your heart on Jesus, to, to spend time with Jesus every single day in his word, setting your attention on him, to, to gather with believers and, and, and live in community to honor Jesus, for us to lock arms together and be about the mission of Jesus. Maybe you need to get back into a group that you've kind of gotten out of the habit of being in. Maybe you need to be back in church because you kind of got out of the habit of that. Maybe you need to get back into serving because you kind of got in the habit of that. There have been so many things that have been shaking this last year that many times we've just kind of gotten out of the habit of being with God's people and being about God's business. And how about 2021? You say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to get back to not where I was before, but even better than I was before. I'm going to really... I'm going to really put my energy on things that matter for eternity, not just for the short run. To live in community, to serve Jesus Christ, to go on mission, to take that mission trip that you haven't taken, to, to share your, the gospel with that person you haven't had that conversation with yet. To spend time, to be discipled maybe, and you've been putting off so many times. Listen, now is a time to live fully for him. In this day, in this time, while he gives you life and breath. Hey folks, the world's a turbulent place. We can't control that, right? But God is on his throne and Jesus is coming back. And in this, we have hope. We have hope. Why don't you bow your heads with me for just a minute. This is the last Sunday of this year. And you may be listening to this and you say, Craig, I'm not really sure if I were to stand before God right now and I had to give an account of my life, I don't know that my name is written in the book of life. I don't know. I am uncertain. In fact, that day scares me to death. You know, it's so interesting how different peoples view that day. So many see this day standing before this throne of God this throne of fire, this throne of judgment, and the books are open, that is a ominous picture of judgment and dread for those that do not know Jesus. But the apostle Paul said that because of Christ, we can be presented before him blameless and with joy. For the believer, there's joy because Jesus has covered our sin debt. And if you don't know Christ, then this is your moment. This is your opportunity. On this last Sunday of 2020, with all that we've been through, to say yes to Jesus. I mean, honestly, what else is it going to take to get your attention? What else is it going to take for you to say yes to Christ? How, how much more needs to rattle your cage before you realize that you're not in control and He is? And that our life is fragile and that eternity is real. So right now, if you feel God convicting your heart right now, I want to lead you in a simple prayer of faith to say yes to Jesus Christ. 
You just pray this simple prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've gone my own way. But I believe you died on a cross for me. And I believe you rose again from the dead. So I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please wash me clean. Please fill me with your spirit. Lord Jesus, today, I place my trust in you. And I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you, Lord, that you're coming back. Oh, Lord Jesus, I long for your coming. Now let me pray for you. Father, I, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, in a world that is stirring, in a world that's churning, in a world of instability and uncertainty, Lord, we lift up our eyes to heaven and we see you seated on your throne, that you are ruling and reigning and judging the earth, and that one day the Lord Jesus is going to come, the Son of Man is going to come in the clouds and take us to be with you. Oh, Lord, we long for that day. I pray, Lord, that we would live this next year in light of that day, that there would be a sense of urgency to put the spiritual before the physical and the tangible, to put your mission ahead of our own, your business ahead of our business. Lord, that we would live our lives with eternity in mind and Jesus before our eyes. Lord, I pray for everyone here in this room and all those that are watching online that God you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and that we would go out of this place hopeful joyful and ready to represent you to this world to share the hope of the gospel the hope that we have with those around us we love you we long for your coming Lord and we pray this in Jesus name and all God's people said amen amen